Hey everyone, thanks again for joining us this week on Mission Driven. My name is Rafi Krikorian. This week, we're going to talk to the founder and CEO of Kicho, Sam Quigley. What's Sam's story? It's one about the unstoppable nature of parents. Kicho and Sam's work is a manifestation of what a parent will do to help his or her child. So, we're going to talk to Sam both about Kicho and the transition he's made in his career to get to that point. Hello, Sam. Let's talk about biotech for a second. Yeah. So I am the founder and CEO and honestly only employee of a company called Kicho. Kicho is named after a nickname of my son's. He's now eight. So he was born in 2014. And when he was four months old, he was diagnosed with infantile spasms, sort of epilepsy. And a few months after that, we got a genetic diagnosis of his disease, which is called DUP15Q. It's a fairly rare genetic disease. It's about affects something like one in 16,000 births. And it's basically caused by a duplication in the 15Q chromosome. When he was two cells big or whatever it is, a little bit of gene broke off and, and there's too much of it. Anyway, I had a career in tech, but I left my last job at the end of 2020 and was looking for ways to, uh, to help my son. And along the way, I uh, teamed up with uh, a couple of folks and founded Kicho. And so Kicho is in, in the business of developing a cure for Duke15Q. We've been at it for about a year and a half. We are using a sort of you know, basically off-the-shelf technology. We're working with a, a contract lab, one of the biggest and sort of preeminent labs in the world. They're doing all the science. I'm not, I'm not like pipetting things into petri dishes or anything. But we are making progress, making good progress, actually. We have now a couple dozen drug candidates, and we're winnowing that list down. And we hope to be uh, ready for animal testing shortly, and then hopefully going into human trials next year sometime. Can you give everyone who's listening in a brief primer on just how you plan to attack the disease? Like what's Kicho building, if that's the right word, to attack this gene sequence? So DU15Q is not super well studied. There's other diseases that are very similar that have gotten a lot more attention. But we know that it's this one chunk of chromosome that is overexpressed. There's too many copies. And in particular, there's one gene on there that there's a lot of reason to think is the culprit. Overexpression of that one gene is probably likely to be causing a lot of the symptoms. And there's uh, off-the-shelf technology. So it's, it's been around for 24 years, I think, 20-something years, called antisense oligonucleotides. It's a technology that's been around for a while. I think it was used in one of the early AIDS drugs. It's been used in a lot of other things. It's been used in a lot of different FDA-approved things. So it's, it's a pretty well-understood mechanism. And the, it's sort of a particularly neat mechanism because it's programmable. There's two chunks. Of it. You're basically creating these things called antisense oligonucleotides. And there's sort of two facets of that, that molecule. One is a chunk of oligonucleotides, so like DNA, basically, or RNA. And you can set that sequence to be whatever you want. And that sequence will then go bind to RNA in the cell. So if, if you set it to, if you program that sequence to bind to one thing, it'll bind to that part of RNA. If you can set it to another area of RNA, it'll bind to the other area of RNA. And the other thing on the antisense on the ASO uh, molecule is a mechanism that sort of recruits naturally occurring enzymes in the body to go destroy whatever it's bound to. So you can go glue the ASO onto this target sequence, and then the body will destroy that target sequence. It's a sort of nifty mechanism for you to just go blow up sequences of, of RNA in the body. And because it's programmable, you can sort of go after whatever you want. You can go after any chunk of the human genome that you want to. It's more complicated than that, but that's the basic 
promise of the, of the technology is that it's a programmable way to silence genes. And in this case, we have a target that we, we know we want to lower, this gene called UBE3A. And so the obvious first treatment for this disease is an ASO that targets UB3A, and it'll go blow up the extra copies of UB3A, hopefully normalize that level, and thereby restore normal function in the cell. So that's the basic mechanism. None of this is my idea. <laughs> I, I didn't invent any of this stuff. I, I, it's a fairly well understood thing. I think the idea of using an ASO to normalize UB3A is a, that's also not a novel idea. That's a, a thing that has occurred to many researchers, in particular, one of the scientists on our advisory board before Kicho existed, wrote a paper uh, where he demonstrated that normalizing UB3A using an ASO in a cell can remedy the disease. So none of this is sort of new. It's more that Kicho is a, a, an area where there's an existing technology and there's an existing understanding of the disease, and we're just plugging those two things together. We're trying to solve this particular disease. Uh, there's lots of genetic diseases. There's lots of cool science going on in the world. But there's not a lot of cool science going on for my son's disease. And so the thesis behind this company is that a person with a bit of capital and a sense of urgency can make a difference for, for this particular disease. And so far, I think we're proving that. Sam, I'm sure you hear it all the time, but that phrase, the thesis behind this company is that a person or company with a bit of capital and a sense of urgency can make a difference for this particular disease that phrase is so powerful, that's going to stick with me. But just to make sure I understood this correctly, zooming back out again, the goal of Kicho is that you're going to make a drug. That drug will attack a particular gene sequence and blow it up across the body. I think I got that. Is this a continuously forever drug that you or the patient will take? I think the goal for Kicho is, is curing Duke15Q writ large, like the big statement there. And this ASO drug that we're working on right now is the first treatment, the first step towards that. It's not going to be a light switch, right? It's not going to be you take this thing and then poof, everyone's happy and dancing. In particular, because Duke15Q is a neurological disorder, it's a neurodevelopmental disorder, we need to administer this in the nervous system. And that means that you're going to have to take a shot, administer it as a shot in the spine, like an epidural. The body will filter it out, so you have to keep getting the shot forever if this works and it'll be every sort of probably three months or so that's a that's a serious undertaking that's a, a serious thing to do a good thing about that though because it is temporary because the body will filter it out is that there is a good reason to think that if there are any undesired effects of the drug they will go away they'll be temporary whereas some of these sort of newfangled one-shot genetic therapies are super scary at least as a parent they're super scary because you take that thing, you're messing with the human genome. It's never been done in a human before, and it's irreversible. Like, that's super scary. While I think that the future is bright and there's a lot of really cool genetic technologies coming, I think using a tried and true, fairly well understood technology is, is sort of more attractive at this stage. I can't fully put myself in your shoes, but I'm sure the incentive of being a parent to actually push this forward must be so incredibly strong. What prepared you to do this? You know, I'm personally a software engineer by training, and I've been lucky that I've been able to go and explore semi-adjacent areas, whether it's robotics, ending up in politics, or the social good. But jumping all the way to hard science is not something I could conceive of yet for myself. So what convinced you that you could go do this? The imposter syndrome is very real, and thank you for, thank you for triggering it. I don't claim to have some 
deep understanding of the science here. I'm learning. I think it's, it's fascinating stuff and I find it exciting and really interesting to learn about. But it, I, I don't think that that's what I have to add to this. I think primarily the thing that I am adding to this process, to this company, is the urgency of a parent. Well before I, I had the idea to start this company, I was speaking to another mom. Her name is Paula Evans and she is the CEO and founder of a company called Genetics, G-E-N-E-T-X. And Genetics is, you know, was founded by an association of parents for a different disease. It's called Angelman's. Angelman syndrome and DUP15Q syndrome are very similar in terms of it's the same region of genome. It's just that in, in my son's case, he has too much of this gene. And in the Angelman case, there's too little. You know, the Angelman parents got together. They created this company. The company created an ASO to normalize that same gene that we're looking at just in the opposite direction. And they brought it all the way to trial. It's, it's now in, in phase one, two trials. I was talking to this mom, Paula Evans, and she, you know, just about how she got there and how it happened. Because, you know, as a parent, I'd been trying to help my son any way I could. And I had funded a couple of academic projects. I had talked to really exciting biotech startups. I heard doing all this cool sci-fi stuff. But the, the academic things, I don't mean this as a negative, but I think that a lot of academic work is fueled by curiosity. There's a whole lot that we don't understand, and someone has to go figure it out. If you go write, you know, give an academic institution a grant, you're going to get a bunch of scientists who are going to go figure stuff out, and it's going to be great. But it's not necessarily going to be pragmatically focused on making progress on this one disease right now. And a lot of these biotech companies are doing cool sci-fi stuff, but it's not going to be in humans for 15 years. It's, it's also not pragmatic in that way. This is what Paula Evans told me. A parent has that sort of urgency and drive, and no one's going to care more than you, right? She is what she said, which I think resonates with me. No one's going to care more than a parent about solving this disease right now. The other thing she said was that it's important to do these things in a commercial context, because if you write grants, you know, you, get, you give a grant to a university or whatever, that's good. That, that'll fund the lab for another year or two. But in a commercial context, you can have a contract with uh, milestones and incentives and timelines and, you know, Gantt charts and all this kind of stuff. And uh, in a prior life, I was a, an executive at Square, now Block. And so I'm familiar with Gantt charts and contracts and milestones. And it's a, it's a tool that I understand and I, I think I know how to use. I'm not the one driving the science here, but I do think that I can I can push and I have the, and I can use the tools of like contracts and Gantt charts to push hard. Ultimately, I, I'm working with a whole bunch of scientists who will advise me on and do advise me on the steps that are necessary in which which area. You know, I, I know enough of it to, to ask questions and to learn, but I don't I don't pretend to be the one developing the cure myself. Let's dip into your background for just a second, Sam. You mentioned previously you were at Square now blocks. And before that, you've been at other places thinking about online security, information security. I was wondering if you can tell me a bit more about your career. You know, I too have a love-hate relationship with Gantt charts. How has your career prepared you to do Kicho? Well, my, my formal training is in philosophy, so not directly <laughs> relevant to any of this. And I came pretty close to, to going to grad school in philosophy. But one of the things that in some ways saved me was uh, I got a job you know, doing computer security. So this was back when the internet was young. And security is, is a, I think, a fascinating field to me for a lot of reasons. I sort of like the adversarial nature of it. But I also like the way in which security, for a certain kind of company, especially financial company or a healthcare company or whatever, security just pervades the business. It matters at every layer. And so you, as a security 
engineer or, or a person who's responsible for security, you get to be involved in a business at, at every layer. You get to see all the different aspects and you get to push on different things. So in the sort of early 2000s, I, I began my career in security and I, you know, I had a couple of sort of traditional jobs with the, the you know, working at companies and consulting, especially, which is fine. It was interesting, but it wasn't until about 2007 or so when I joined my first like real startup startup where I was employed, I think seven or something like that. And I drank the Kool-Aid. I sort of believed in the mission. Um, I worked long hours. I put a lot of my, you know, that company ultimately failed for, I think a lot of reasons, none of which were good, but it's not because we didn't do a good job. We didn't push hard. We didn't build a cool product. Anyway, that company was called Wisabe. I left Wisabe in 2009. And then early 2010, I joined Square, which was at that time a very small startup. I think I was employee 16 or so, responsible for security, but it was a startup. So you end up doing lots and lots of different things. I've led IT for a while. I led infrastructure for a while. In 2016, I led security, but uh, Jack Dorsey, the CEO, asked me to join the executive team leading security and also taking over the, the risk team, risk being like, credit card fraud and, and that kind of stuff. And that was ultimately a machine learning problem. So I built out the core machine learning platform. And so I was leading risk security and ML at Square. I was at Square from 2010 to about 2020. So my son was born in 2014. So most of his his life was while I was in, uh, at Square. It sounds like persistence is one of the things you learn, like pushing boulders up a hill. Your job in some ways was to make the impossible happen. I think at, at startups, especially when it's like a very small startup, you have this huge mission and you have the hubris that you're going to go after. You're going to go, you're going to go change the world, right? You're going to go make everything better. And things never work out exactly as you plan. But I think that, that there's a sense in which working in startups focuses you or focused me on, on the big picture goals. And it also sort of makes you comfortable with uncertainty. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I know that I have seen uncertainty before and I'm pretty confident that I'll be able to figure it out once we get there. So like a lot of this project has been actually with Kicho, a lot of it has been push the ball down the field. And then you every three or six months, you realize, I realize that there's this like this huge knot of complexity that I had never even occurred to me that there was a problem there. And now I got to go figure that out. One of the things <clears throat> I was speaking to someone recently about, you know, the actual manufacture of drugs and, you know, retrospect, it's not surprising, but there is a lot that goes into quality control for pharmaceuticals. Like you have to make sure that wherever the factory that's producing these things is producing exactly what you wanted, that there's nothing else in there, that there's no contamination, that this, that, and the other thing. And that's a whole bunch of process. You can't just go, you know, trust someone to do that. You have to, you have to check and you have to have audits. In retrospect, it's obvious that that's a big deal and they got to do that right. But it hadn't occurred to me how, just how complicated that is and just how many people are spend their careers doing that and doing that well. And, you know, so like this process has been realizing every few months that there is this big knot of complexity I don't feel daunted by that. I mean, I think that that's, uh, I'm not surprised that there's complexity there. And I also don't know that I, it's not like I need to be the one who is the expert in all these areas of complexity. I just need to be able to find people who are experts in those areas and give them the tools they need to do a good job. This may be more of a philosophical question, and I apologize if it's so high level, but what signals do you get on this journey, Sam, that tell you that this is what you should be doing right now? I don't know. I have a lot of introspection there. Like, how, how, what else could I be doing? <laughs> I, I feel like when it became clear to me that this was possible, and it wasn't always clear to me that this was possible, but when it became clear that, that there's a path here that is reasonable, not, not sci-fi, not crazy, but like a thing that, that can be done, it has felt obvious that 
it should be done, that it needs to be done. You know, if, if there were somebody else in whom I had a ton of faith and they were better suited to leading this project, it doesn't have to be me, right? I don't have to be the one leading this project, but someone should be doing this. Then let's talk about that. What was the journey from thinking about doing this to deciding to do this? Well, I mentioned earlier that when I was still at Square, I worked with a couple of academic projects and I had sort of investigated a few biotech startups doing cool genetic therapies. I mean, honestly, you know, I, I'm, I'm an outsider to a lot of this stuff, but the state of genetic science right now is fascinating. It's super cool. There's all kinds of stuff going on and some of it's kind of crazy. <laughs> some of it seems insane. Like there's vendors that you can hire for a few thousand dollars. You can they'll take some blood and they'll turn the cells in that blood into stem cells. And then turn the stem cells into neurons. And then the neurons can just grow into not actually brains, but organoids. And that's just like a commodity that you can just grow brains in a thing. That's not weird <laughs> in this world. And like, so, so coming to the outside, the state of genetic technology is fascinating. I'm sure it's going to be even cooler in 10 years, but even right now, it's amazing. So learning about that has, has, been, has been fascinating. But I think that it was clear from the outset that there is opportunity to use the current science to treat a lot of you know, this long tail of rare diseases. I didn't necessarily know what the right path would be, but early last year, I sort of went on a tour of talking to all the academic the sort of key opinion leaders and, and experts who have studied this disease and talking to them. And in those conversations, it became clear that this ASO strategy was probably a good. No one had any reason to think it wouldn't work. Uh, a lot of people had reason to think it would work. I think for folks in the field, it, it has felt like an obvious thing that someone ought to try for, for a while now. And that's part of like why I feel it's like inevitable that, that I should be doing this is because if the experts think that someone ought to try and I have the ability to try, I should do that. So the answer is you should go try. What does your day-to-day -day look like? Uh, well, right now I am in the process of trying to raise a seed funding round for the company. So right now my life is just emails and Zoom calls. Actually, that has been most of what this project has been, is emails and Zoom calls. But um, right now, it's mostly with sending emails to people I don't know or know vaguely and asking for large amounts of money, which feels odd, actually. It's going well. I mean, I, I think that, uh, an aspect of this project that I didn't fully uh, appreciate going in was that rare diseases are like a big, big business. These drugs can be worth a ton of money if they exist. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but one of them is that there's a bunch of legislation that makes like, that sort of privileges uh, orphan drugs or drugs for rare diseases in terms of like patents and, and FDA approval, uh, expedited approvals and that kind of stuff. Uh, there's, so there's a lot of sort of structural incentives to try and get business to focus on rare diseases. And since Kicho is tackling a rare disease, there's a lot of reasons why you know it, it's sort of a, unexpectedly a, a, a real economic opportunity. And so going to investors and telling that economic story, you know, going into this, I didn't necessarily know that that was true. I, I knew that I wanted to do it, but I didn't know that, that it was going to be an economic story, like a capitalist story, basically. There is a series of improbable events here. You've investigated whether this is possible. You decide to go get Kicho up and running. And part of what I'm trying to do with Mission Driven is to talk to people about that point in their life when they're faced with an opportunity to make a choice about what to do. Do you go follow what everyone else is doing or do you go your own way? What advice would you give to someone if they're facing that decision? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of advice. I, you, you know, you got you to take it with a grain of salt. But in my view, there's a, a bunch of different aspects to what an opportunity and a job opportunity can offer you. One, and most obviously, is jobs are about compensation for work. So you, the money matters for a lot of people. But especially if you've had a successful career already, you might have a little bit more flexibility there. For me, I think that it has always been true that I need to believe in what I'm doing. Like I need to 
to be able to invest myself in the project. And I've had the fortune to work at companies that did well, that also you know, I could invest myself in, I could drink the Kool-Aid and really believe in. And I think that for me, at least, if I were doing something that I just didn't believe in, or that was, I felt somehow bad for the world, that I would, I would go crazy. My day-to-day would just eat away at me in a way that I would not be able to tolerate. So I think that if you're looking for a combination of sort of compensation, mission, and then a bit of advice I would give people is uh, looking for areas that will be the next step on the resume, like like that will add to your skills and make you sort of more employable going forward. So especially if you're like a software engineer in one area, maybe you want to work in an adjacent area so that you can sort of broaden yourself, but not necessarily go fully left field and go in a completely different direction because that might not be additive. For me, biotech is a completely left field thing. There's not a lot of opportunity for skilled security engineers who have managed pharmaceutical development programs. That's not a job category that I know of, at least. <laughs> um, <laughs> My generic advice is is that you have to find those three things. You have to find a, a sort of thing that will help you develop, thing that will help you, that you can believe in, and a thing that will help you feed your family. And different people at different points in their careers will need to optimize for different things there. I like that trifecta. Something to help develop yourself, something to help yourself, and something to feed your family. It reminds me of the autonomy mastery purpose trifecta that Dan Pink talks about, too. Hmm. Sam, this is perfect. Thank you so much for your time and so much good luck with Kicho. Say hello to your son, but thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you. As a father of two young sons, so much of that conversation is going to stick with me too. The unstoppable nature of parents. We're getting close to the end of this season of Mission Driven. Coincidentally, next time we're going to be talking to another security person, a friend of mine, Jim O'Leary, Jim is the VP of Engineering behind Signal, the end-to-end encrypted messaging platform. I'm looking forward to that chat, and I hope you are too. See you next time.